coming from a small island country, Kiribati, barely three meters above sea level, a lot of the discourse that we're reading on climate change tells us that this is a future event, but it's not. We're living with it today. But we've got a really challenging information environment. And in terms of providing certainty for people and providing direction and coherence within our, within our countries and within the region, it's a really challenging thing to do. I think what's going to be interesting over coming years is uh, for forum members, I think the more they put into the forum, uh, the more effective and powerful the forum will be. Avinun Ogata and warm Pacific greetings. My name is Henry Ibarature and welcome to another episode of the Pacific Wayfinder podcast brought to you by the Australia Pacific Security College. The Pacific Islands Forum Secretariat released a regional security outlook 2022 to 2023 uh, forecasting key security challenges facing the region over the coming 12 months, including a projection of the Boyd Declaration Action Plan key areas, which are climate, natural disasters, gender-based violence, illegal fishing, cybercrime, and transnational organized crime. The report also details new trends underpinning the region's response, responses to those sustained challenges, including the impact of COVID-19, Russia's uh, invasion of Ukraine, and global price increases and inflationary pressure. But before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we broadcast from today the Nanawal and Nambri people, and pay respect to their elders past, present, and imagine. Today, I am joined by uh, my new co-host, Aka Rimon, uh, co-host of the Pacific Wayfinder and a fellow Pacific Islander. Aka? Maori Henry, thank you for having me. You're welcome. Jay Colwell, Deputy Director, Henry, thank you very much for having me, and it's good to be here with my partner in crime who lives in the office next door to me as well. Looking forward to the conversation. And I'm very, very pleased to introduce our new director, <laughs> Professor Dave Pibbles. Hello, Henry, and a big hello to my Pacific brothers and sisters. It's great to be here, and what an honour to be here on my first podcast with three such fine, wonderful people. Uh, very pleased indeed. So... Can I ask each one of you to just, you know, especially Dave, now that you've taken on this role, our speakers out there and our stakeholders need to know who you are. So if, could you please just let our stakeholders know a bit about yourself? Thanks very much, Henry. And uh, I must say I'm getting a bit old because I've been uh, studying the Pacific, uh, living in the Pacific, uh, working on Pacific issues for almost 30 years now. So uh, uh, really this has been the uh, thing that I've been most passionate about for most of my life, other than my wife and children. I'm very passionate about them as well, of course. 
But uh, the happiest uh, time we had as a family was uh, living in the Pacific. And uh, I always said that uh, there was nowhere else in the world that I wanted to be raising my children over that period because of those you know, really strong Pacific values of uh, everyone looking out for everyone else and that really strong sense of community uh, and also the wonderful connection to the ocean as well. So the uh, Pacific has a very special place in my heart but also in the heart of uh, my family as well. So uh, to go back many, many years, I, I started my uh, undergraduate studies on the Pacific and that then led to a uh, PhD where I looked at uh, uh, Australia's role in the Pacific and also the Pacific Islands Forum and uh, the future of the Pacific Islands Forum. So uh, that was uh, a lot of fun and really interesting. And uh, uh, that led to a uh, position with the Australian Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. So uh, for many years, I was able to work as an Australian diplomat. And uh, that took me to many parts of the region and uh, allowed me to work on uh, many uh, interesting issues. I uh, most recently was working on climate change and uh, the Pacific Islands Forum and uh, uh, overall uh, uh, strategy on the Pacific. So that was all good fun. But uh, I've also lived for Solomon Island in Solomon Islands for four years. Been a peace monitor in Bougainville. And uh, while we were living in Solomon Islands, uh, my wife also had a special role. She was the uh, only female special coordinator of the uh, Ramsey Regional Assistance Mission to Solomon Islands. So it really is a, a, a whole of family commitment in our house to, uh, to the Pacific. Uh, but I'm really delighted to, and honoured to have this uh, position at the uh, Australia Pacific Security College. Uh, uh, I'm here as a servant of our Pacific brothers and sisters. The college is here as a servant of our Pacific uh, brothers and sisters and uh, really looking forward to uh, working with uh, the, the many, many people who are uh, passionate about the future of the Blue Pacific continent in coming years. Thanks very much, Henry. Dave, when you, you know, wrote about the future of the forum at the time. Did you think <laughs> or imagine that the forum would be as it would be today, plagued by all the challenges that it is facing? It's a really great question, uh, Henry. I, I always saw the potential of the Pacific Islands Forum to uh, play a really critical role in bringing the region together and uh, confronting uh, uh, the challenges, but also the opportunities before the region as well. I was writing my PhD, which became uh, my book in the early 2000s. So the set of issues we had uh, in the early 2000s aren't the same as the issues in the 2020s. Uh, I think climate change was emerging as an issue and the forum was already talking about it. But uh, obviously now we far, far better appreciate what an existential threat it is for uh, the uh, Blue Pacific continent and how it is the greatest security threat. So um, it, it would be difficult to imagine, have imagined all those challenges, but uh, I, I did have the strong belief that back then, which continues today, that the Pacific Islands Forum is where the region comes together and speaks as a united voice to the rest of the world, uh, and that's a really powerful thing indeed. So uh, uh, no one can quite predict the future, but uh, I, I, I did see the importance of the uh, key regional institution body for the future of all of us. Thank you, Dave. My next question is for Aka. Uh, as a PhD student and who's um, living in a period of this change that's happening and the issues that are evolving and her work on climate and all that, um, how do you foresee 
climate as an issue that may drive the agenda of the forum going forward? Um, thank you, Henry. It's um, something that, for me, calls for moral leadership. It's a time for the world to be united, the regional architecture particularly not only to be present but to be working mm -hmm. is it delivering on the um, needs and priorities of the region thank you and Arthur. how does it ensure safety and security of the rest of the can, can i ask Arkan a, a follow-up question there oh sure you because, can because because i i think that's a really good point Arka, in terms of the you know there's that responsibility to to be able to drive the safety and security of the region do you think the forums is actually playing that role in terms of the the efforts that have been made thus far? Do you think the the Pacific is in a stronger place because of the work of the forum at this point? It it's plays a very critical role. Uh, never have we undermined the role of a regional architecture to deliver on priorities like climate change. But we're talking about an era where we're confronted by not just one issue, we're talking now climate change, but a multifaceted um, other issues, uh, climate, human displacement, um, inflation, you spoke about Ukraine, invasion of Ukraine. And I think for me personally, I would like to see that the forum delivers much stronger in terms of providing connection to the grassroots. Because we have in front of us today a report that I think is brilliant outlining a map of how we should address security. And before I even read it, I'm thinking, I'll understand this, but how do people on, on the front line or in the grassroots interpret that? Are we translating enough in terms of how much we want them to also be aware? The Australia Pacific Security College aims to strengthen capacity, collaborations, and policymaking for a stronger Pacific security. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and find our library of research, blogs, podcasts, and videos on our website, pacificsecurity.net. Our podcast, The Pacific Wayfinder, brings together leading voices on our shared security challenges. Stay up to date on the latest thinking on Pacific security, and subscribe to The Pacific Wayfinder wherever you get your podcasts. That's a very important uh um, observation, and that's, I think, the challenge that the Pacific Islands Forum Secretariat would have to uh, absorb and try to educate their region, particularly the people who see security in a different light. Now, with those introductory commentary, I'd like to now take us forward to some of those questions that we would like to address about this report that's before us or that has been refused, uh, released by the Forum Secretariat. And I think the first question is open to any one of you who was keen to, uh, keen to answer it. But the question reads, what is unique, unique, and Aka, you've already mentioned something there, so we can get back to that, but what is unique about this report compared to previous security outlooks for the region? What is really unique about this report? Can I jump in there for a start, Henry? And, and um, then we might come to one of those things. But, but um, I think one of the things that's really interesting about this report is that it's actually active and out in the public domain. So the, the forum has a real role in bringing together a consolidated security picture for members 
in, in, a, in a range of forums, particularly in transnational crime. Um, but this kind of security outlook, in my understanding, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Henry, here, but hasn't actually been in the public domain. And I know even in its development um, during 2022, in terms of forming a security picture, the initial thought was that it would be for members' consideration, you know, internally, because basically this is analysis. This is a consideration of what are the core security risks at the national and the regional level that the region needs to address. And I think one of the striking things is this does some of that function that Dave was speaking to in terms of the strength of the forum, in terms of speaking for the region to the world. We've talked about how uh, the the... <laughs> Everyone has an interest in Pacific security. It's not only owned by, by those in the Pacific themselves. And this is a real opportunity to frame the Pacific security risks in a Pacific security, in, in a Pacific voice, um, so that it's owned from a regional level. I think Aka brought up a really good question. It might speak out well. Does it necessarily speak to the community? Or, you know, we, we might be asking a lot there. But, it, but, um, but I think it's really important that this is actually, in some ways, some of the best expression of the forum in terms of shaping the environment uh, for the type of engagement that's the priority of Pacific Island peoples. Dave, do you have oh. any thoughts about that question? Look, Henry, I, I just want to agree with my wise colleagues here. I mean, they're, they're, they're excellent. I mean, really, that's good. But uh, I think a lot of good points here, and uh, I, I think the Pacific Islands Forum Secretariat is really to be congratulated uh, for this report. Mm. I think over many, many years now, but most particularly with the Boy Declaration and the 2050 strategy for the Blue Pacific Continent, uh, the forum and its leaders on behalf of um, their peoples has had this very sophisticated approach to security. It's not one thing or the other thing. Uh, it's it's all elements of traditional, non-traditional security issues uh, all brought together. And I think that's, uh, that's a really important point. I think of the many things I like about this uh, particular report is, is the detailed analysis of, of that you know, sophisticated approach to uh, security. But uh, what, what I'd really commend to all the listeners is having a look at the uh, two-year projections. I think mm -hmm. that's really important that the report provides this um, analysis of what's going on, but also looks forward. And it, it's not all grim uh, in the area of uh, uh, illegal, unregulated, unreport, and underreported fishing, for instance. Um, uh, new technologies mean that the story over the next couple of years is uh, probably pretty positive in terms of picking that up. Uh, other places, it's it's more grim. Obviously, the uh, the climate change situation is uh, is getting grimmer. Uh, so I, I think those two-year projections are really quite important as well. And um, just to follow on from uh, some of Aka's earlier points, uh, um, I, I do think that when the forum has spoken with a united voice on the world stage, the way that it's been able to influence uh, uh, thinking and negotiations on climate change has been really important. So I think what's going to be interesting over coming years is uh, for forum members, I think the more they put into the forum, uh, the more effective and powerful the forum will be. So that, that, that's going to be an interesting uh, conversation across the region in, in coming years, I think. Yes, please, Aka. Um, just want to go back to what I said about the, the forum being able to translate this. And I want yes. to say that I do acknowledge, I'm sure there's a lot of um, communication strategies in place to translate the document to other languages of the member countries. Um, so I, 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 I want to note that. I just guess I want to reinforce that it's important for mm -hmm. such an important 
vital uh, vital document to reach down to to the communities. Now, if you allow me, Henry, to also add to what I find unique to the document, I think it's the timing, the timing mm. of the document. If there's any time that it has to be launched, now is it. Because of the geopolitics, I think there's a lot of competition going around in the region, and it's important that this document came out at a time that speaks to the Pacific countries mandate Pacific countries' interest to say this is what we want and this is what we see. So no better way to put it. I think it's all said in the in the document. Sort of like the forum now set in the regional narrative Absolutely. for the security yeah. conversation that should be taking place that they want their people to focus on to let others know that these are the security areas that are important to us. You know, there's this geopolitical security conversation that's happening the uh, Indo-Pacific conversation that's happening. And I think this is where perhaps the region now says these are our central security issues beyond what uh, the conversation is out there. So, yes, it's a very, very, uh, very valid point. Now, well, let's move on and ask a second question. And I think some of this might have already come out from, Dave, your, your conversation. What are the emerging trends we ought to be paying more attention to. So the report is out there, but what are the emerging trends that we should pay more attention to, extra attention to, that might have probably um, escaped the permit uh, of this, uh, uh, remit of this uh, uh, outlook report? I can kick off, uh, Henry, and I'm sure we'll have uh, more wisdom from Akka and Jay as well. Uh, I think because the report is holistic in the approach to security. Uh, I think one of the interesting uh, issues that came out for me uh, from the report was uh, just the impact of the Russia-Ukraine conflict uh, in terms of the impact on inflation in uh, mm. Pacific Forum Island country members. And I think also uh, the related issue of what that means for food security as well. So I think there's the headline points that you would want and expect to see from a report like this on um, on the um, climate change challenge uh, in its own right, uh, but also the sophisticated analysis the report makes in terms of the linkages between climate change and a whole lot of other issues, what it means for uh, a greater frequency and intensity of natural disasters and uh, responding to those. But uh, I, I really liked how the report traced through a few issues. Well. Russia-Ukraine conflict, inflation in uh, Forum Island countries, food security issues for uh, the peoples of the Pacific. So I, I think there's a lot there that uh, I really commend to the listeners. Jay, would you want to add anything to uh, Dave's um, thoughts? Yeah, look, and I like that point about connectedness. So issues of connectedness, and I think that's probably something that threads right through the document that actually there's a real attempt to grapple with that complexity of, of a whole of security picture, which is really complicated to grapple with. Um, and telling some of those key stories is really is really helpful. I think probably in terms of emerging, I, I actually think that the, the document itself has does an excellent job in terms of covering the waterfront in terms of the issues that are core. Probably one that's threaded through there and, and not really brought out um, is the challenges around sort of information disorder. And again, this isn't unique to the Pacific. Um, all countries and regions are having to, to face that. 
Um, but we've got a really challenging information environment. Um, and in terms of providing certainty for people and providing direction um, and coherence within our, within our countries and within the region, um, it's a really challenging thing to do. Again, some of this ties back, as was flagged in the report, to the sort of the Russia-Ukraine crisis in a more permissive environment and techniques of information manipulation that are more exposed and being used. But like we saw during COVID, it's not just about the big strategic risks here. It's about the impact that comes through in our community. And we saw the vaccine hesitancy and the, uh, the, the sort of, I guess, the clumping of grievance issues mm. um, that had uh, such marked effects. And that's spelled out in the, in the report as well. Um, and there are real challenges for government trying to grapple with that. How do you talk the truth to your community uh, in a really disordered information environment? Something that I that just emerged very recently, and that may have probably implications for the consideration of security in this part of the region, is the the China balloon that flew over <laughs> the U.S. And there are reports, or that such kind of sightings had had been seen across the Pacific, and that escapes this part of the report and may have implications going into the future on how island people look at such incident in terms of its resource. Could I ask Dave just to share his thoughts on how this event that's happening may also have or changed the security narrative across the Pacific and how Pacific Islanders look at such an issue for the region? Yeah. I think it brings home that, uh, as the report discusses, even if, though it doesn't get into that specific issue, but I think the incident uh, with the uh, the balloons does highlight we are in this new era of strategic competition rather than cooperation, and that is going to have a lot of implications for um, the, the, the evolution of the region, the evolution of security issues in the region. And uh, strategic competition is an enormous issue. Climate change is an enormous issue. So uh, the Pacific Islands Forum and its members uh, really have all of this uh, in front of them. Uh, so some of the most challenging issues in, in, in human history at the moment. Uh, I think uh, in terms of the, uh, the balloon issue, what's, what's interesting to me is that uh, we're not talking about, you know, a kid's birthday party balloon. I mean, uh, I understand just from the media reports that, uh, you know, the balloon's the size of a bus. Uh, and uh, so that's a safety issue if, uh, if, uh, if nothing else. It's, it's not like you and I sort of setting off a balloon uh, outside uh, the, uh, the ANU tomorrow, Henry. So, um, but I, I think it is just yet another manifestation of this, uh, this strategic competition era. And, um, uh, and just the need for the uh, Pacific Islands Forum members to, to come together and uh, approach these issues from a position of strength and, and common interest. But, um, okay. Maybe just add on to, to that, Please. Dave, and I, I want to acknowledge just how um, waterless the world is. And when we speak, when I heard about it, I said, wow, the world is becoming, anyone can undermine somebody else's sovereignty. Uh, whether it's a balloon or a submarine in the sea. Or, uh, but um, it makes me feel also that what I said earlier about the timing of, of the, um, the report coming out is also a realisation that as a region we are connected to the rest of the world. And whatever impacts, and you said it at the beginning, Ukraine invasion is going to 
affect us one way or another, whether we like it or not. Can I, I think one of the interesting things that is in the report there that kind of perhaps the balloon's an example of is that point about uh, information sovereignty and the sovereignty of, of, of the countries over their own data and core information. And that is actually reflected in the document and particularly in the area of maritime domain awareness. Um, and it, it was really striking actually in, in, the, in the report to see that there had been uh, five state-based offers and 11 corporate offers of maritime domain awareness platforms for the region. Everyone's coming with their kit bag to the region, but it's a question of then who will own that data what does that mean in terms of sovereignty over that data for Pacific countries? So while they might not be wrestling with balloons yet, Henry, um, they're certainly kind of approaching it in particularly in, turn, in regard to maritime domain awareness and making sure that there is uh, Pacific ownership um, of that data that's core. And, and I suppose also the uh, capacity, mm. capacity of Pacific Islanders to use that information, sustain it over the long term, resource it and continue to grow it. Eh? Mm. Often things that come through, you know, they lose their novice and then go out of fashion, not, not funded, not sustained. So we have to also yeah. think about making sure that our governments have the ability, Pacific governments have the ability to resource it, to sustain it, and harvest the utility that it provides. Yeah. Now that leads us to this uh, second or third question. How does this report, if at all, shift current thinking about Pacific security, the regional architecture, and our role, that is the APSC's role in it. Can I throw it to Jay? Sorry, Dave, I have to pass it over, this ball over to Jay. <laughs> I would have preferred you pass this one to Dave for a start, but anyway. Henry, it's important to throw it to Jay because, uh, um, uh, you know, it's good. It's good. I think uh, he's a wise man. So, yeah, it's, a, it's a clean ball. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. He'll, he'll have wise things to say. So um, I must say, Henry, I, I just enjoy listening to the sound of your voice. So, uh, I think you were bored for radio. I think people are going to hear this and sort of try and recruit you to, you know, radio stations. So uh, I, hope you, I hope you enjoy working at the college. Uh, well, well, uh, Dave, um, as a student at uh, Victoria University in New Zealand many years ago, uh, I used to go down and read the news. Well, I had to transcribe the news from English to talk person and police motto. And I had to read the news within five minutes flat, both in talk person and then switch to talk motto, uh, hearing motto. So you speak in two languages in five minutes flat. That's yes. a radio announcer. And I used to do that yeah. every Friday. Yes. But it's just that I didn't pursue that career. Right, but, right. Uh, but it was, it was a viable career well, option. A viable career, ah, yeah. this, So this is taking you back to the office. Taking you back. Yeah. And, and yeah. at the end of the, the, the 10 minutes or so, you went out and your check was uh, already printed. You just went and cashed it. And off you went. <laughs> Macus on a Friday afternoon. Oh, yeah. that's good. Well, I, don't take up any radio office now. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, that's we right. We like you running out. I, I just want to say for our listeners, there's no check for us at the end of this, <laughs> uh, <laughs> this podcast. Jay, please, save yeah. us, save us. Yeah. But, uh, uh, so you were talking about the current shift in terms of what does this report do? And, Is and that in, right? In our role. I guess. In our role. Okay, in. well, I might leave the our role to Dave, but yeah. I, I think, and, and a little bit builds off Aka's point about the timeliness of the report. Um, so we are in a real period of architecture change and of a need for architecture change uh, in the Pacific. So last year, and correct me on the wording, uh, Henry, et cetera, 
if if I'm right, but the leaders call for a flexible mechanism to engage with issues of security uh, in the region. Was it flexible or robust? One of those two. One of those two. One of those two. Both. Maybe. <laughs> actually, it might have been both. Actually, um, and so so I think if if we're going to go into this period of architecture change, it's really important to know is what are the purposes we're actually trying to achieve. What are the risks we're actually trying to address? And this provides us something of a baseline uh, for this period of time for the conversation. It baselines the conversation that leaders will have throughout the year. So we know that the, we're going into a special leaders meeting uh, in the near period, and that's about the, the sort of largely about the reestablishment around regionalism. But these issues will be drawn out throughout the year. And so we need that base. And so I, I think that's what this does for us. Uh, in terms of setting up the conversation for architecture, do you agree with me, Aka? I agree <laughs> totally. I cannot. I cannot dispute what was um, just said. But I also want to add to that and build on what mm -hmm. you said, um, Jay, by saying that I think for for me as a Pacific Islander, one thing that really struck me about the re the report, and you're asking what makes it different, is that it's a united voice. It's a united voice, which means that our role as the APSC in all this is important to also work closely with the Pacific. And I, I worked in, in, in the government in my past life, which involved, you know, some engagements in the forum secretariat. And I feel like this document is really a demonstration of how well we're working, keeping our house together as one um, Pacific continent and speaking one voice. So... I think for us to align to that is is going to be critical. Mm -hmm. No, thanks, Aka. And uh, I've just checked that wording. So, uh, so forum leaders in July twenty two called for a flexible and responsive oh, regional respons security robust, uh, yeah, uh, mechanism. It can be robust. It yeah, can be robust. Yeah. But uh, uh, no, I think that's great. But just following on from Jay and uh, Aka in terms of the college's role, uh, the college to me is about three things: learning, policy engagement, regional collaboration. And if there's an underlying goal to all of that work, it's really to increase specific agency. Uh, in terms of the uh, learning, it's, uh, it's training programs, it's workshops, it's scenario exercises. Uh, in terms of the policy engagement, uh, we're invited to do so. We're very happy to support uh, Pacific Island countries' own efforts to develop national security strategies, and uh, we're keen to support regional collaboration conversations between uh, governments, officials, uh, peoples across the region through conferences and working very closely with the Pacific Islands Forum. And, and, and all of those things are really to uh, increase Pacific agency, uh, to um, uh, allow uh, Pacific Island governments and uh, officials and peoples um, to, to chart the way ahead through all these, uh, all these uh, different and difficult uh, challenges and to, to make the most of the opportunities. So uh, the college is here as a servant of the region uh, to increase Pacific agency. And I, I think this uh, report really highlights that uh, if you're a Pacific security policymaker, you have a lot on your plate. You have a lot on your plate. And anything that the college can do to uh, support and assist and, uh, and uh, provide uh, learnings and training to uh, people with these enormous responsibilities on their plate, that, that, that's what the college is here to do. For the latest analysis on climate, environmental, human and national security trends in our Blue Pacific region, you can read the APSC blog at pacificsecurity.net. Our contributors come from across the region 
and include policymakers, practitioners, and academics. If you would like to contribute, get in contact with our team through our website. And it kind of sets the framework for our work so that we don't yeah. um, go outside of the remit of the framework that has been set by the forum leaders. Otherwise, we might be told to, uh, you know, go backwards <laughs> and go into line with uh, what, you uh, know, what the leaders have really set out for us to work around. Yeah, I, I think that's really important, Henry, because the, the college's mandate very much flows from the Boyd Declaration with that sophisticated, holistic approach to security from the 2050 uh, strategy for the Blue Pacific Continent. And uh, I, I think if the college was focusing on one particular security issue or another security issue, uh, it, it really misses that broader point that the forum itself from the leaders representing all the peoples of the Pacific ha have said, this is our approach to security and, and we take our lead from the uh, forum uh, declarations and, and that is the college's approach to Can I also say that this will be compulsory reading for a number of courses? So we're definitely going to be part of like the, the expanding that conversation with security officials. We'll actually be drawing on the report itself and using that as, as kind of a core source. So. I'm just adding to Jay because I was at a um, – it was a course, Pacific Understanding the Pacific course that I attended last week uh, for new DFAT diplomats. And they were asking, what do we read? Do you want to recommend some readings for the Pacific? So this is definitely one of them. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes. That's exactly right. Yes. Well, I am going to be teaching a course for DPA next week. And I've said, I've already put this on a reading list. Mm -hmm. I just have to make sure that it goes out to the students before I go and teach them. But that brings us to this other question about how does this report inform? The key word is inform. Eh? How does this report inform Pacific security practitioners, especially in implementing the 2050 strategy for the Blue Pacific Continent and its peace and security pillar. I think it speaks to us. It speaks to us as well. That's where our, mm. our work will revolve around. And I think we will um, um, get to perhaps you know, have a greater appreciation of it as we continue to engage with the forum secretariat and guiding us on how we go forward on this. But the question I wanted to ask was, how does it inform Pacifica security practitioners? Um, that's the key question in implementing this 2050 strategy. Um, I'm happy for you to... <laughs> uh, thanks. I'm going to come to you next. I'm going to come to, to, to you next. Um, well, look, I think um, firstly I'd commend to your listeners that uh, the if you haven't already read it, I, I do think the Pacific Island Forum's uh, 2050 strategy for the Blue Pacific uh, Continent is, is a fantastic document that really sort of wrestles with the challenges and opportunities before all four members and the way uh, forward and, uh, uh, you know, a, a full, full sort of... Um, uh, congratulations to Fiji as the forum chair for uh, bringing that document uh, together in consultation with all members as, as a key part of the leaders meeting last year. So I think we've got that. Uh, we've got this fantastic uh, analysis uh, provided by the forum secretariat now. I think the issue, and uh, Uck has already touched on it, is that um, uh, now national uh, and community uh, and, uh, and indeed village 
um, uh, leaders need to wrestle with the kind of material and uh, analysis and issues outlined in this report and think about what, what, what does that mean for, for me and uh, what does that mean in terms of uh, uh, my, my, my government's um, uh, approach to a particular issue, my, my community, my village's approach to uh, an important issue like food security or gender-based violence. So I think at the regional level, we have this fantastic conversation going, but um, uh, uh, Zucker has touched on uh, th then it has to become real and meaningful in terms of the uh, national security strategies of uh, individual forum island countries and um, and and, and subnational uh, gatherings and community gatherings and so on. Okay, now I'm going to pass. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Um, no, I guess I want to pose the question back to you, Henry, and say, how do we get the report off the shelf? Because we don't want this to be just a report that sits on the shelf. Right. So to communicate it means, you know, those things that I said earlier, and I'm sure the forum has touched on this. But how do we also um, get the strength of the Pacific way out as we communicate it? Because when, when I heard about a security report, um, I panic and say, oh, what are the crises we're, we're confronting in our region today? And I read through it and yes, 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 all these are happening. <laughs> but how do we also build in resilience of our Pacific um, solidarity. And uh, to the things that um, Dave has said earlier, we congratulate the report and the chairmanship of Fiji for you know producing this during its time. And, and that is so very valid at this time. Um, I, I would like to see that it's not just a report of threats. I, I want it to be a celebration of the Pacific resilience, the Pacific way, which have helped us to, to put the document together, but also provide what we like to say in the Pacific, you know, our best practices. What are our best practices to address some of these unique and often foreign <laughs> imposed on us um, um, challenges? And uh, something that I wanted to say just went off my <laughs> my mind, but how do we, yeah, how do we factor that into, uh, there's a lot of talk about including indigenous voices. How do we make sure that as we design the policies or solutions to some of the problems that we're reading in this document, how do we um, engage the, the people, the, the locals, the yeah. indigenous voices, so that they are a part of the decision making? Yep. Very important points there. For the report to have any practical impact, it has to be you know, elaborated, it has to be articulated mm -hmm. for people to understand and appreciate it. Resilience is important in this. And I noted the word threat and risks. Is there anything in there that the report says anything about peace, harmony? It is touched on in small part, but but again, it's it, you're right. It, as that security lens, we tend to kind of look for those highlights and threat, etc. But you're right, there is elements of that, but it, there is a potential in unpacking that to yeah. make that part of an important part of the conversation. And, and the reason I said that, Henry, is because during the COVID nineteen lockdown, we found our strengths. The, the borders were closed, we couldn't do anything, and we stepped up because we couldn't have the TA come into the countries and we were able to play some of the roles that we thought we couldn't. So that that is my point in saying that maybe the security would, you know, alarm us to some of the crisis and the risks that we're facing today in, in our very 
dynamic, diverse region, but how do we also build on our strengths to, to address it as we communicate the, the document yeah. across? Not step up in the Australian step up way, yeah? <laughs> but step up in the Pacific way where, you know, they don't depend on anybody now. They are, COVID has demonstrated, as Aka points out, that now we have to look within ourselves to be able to care for ourselves and be able to exit, ex exist. <clears throat> I think we'll go now to a topic that's, you know, central to the Pacific, one of the key topics of the Pacific, and that's about climate. Climate security is consistently highlighted as the preeminent focus of the region. Uh, with the climate crisis multiplying the impacts of other challenges facing Pacific states. How has the inclusion of climate change in the domain of security actors impacted the way Pacific states and partners respond to this issue? That's an open question uh, and open to all three of you. Aka should be first. <laughs> yeah. Aka is the expert, <laughs> yes. Yeah. This is your PhD. Yeah. Okay. This is right here in a nutshell. Um, coming from a small island country, Kiribati, barely three meters above sea level, a lot of the discourse that we're reading on climate change tells us that this is a future event, but it's not. We're living with it today. My research is in looking at how to, you know, help Kiribati inform its future options. How do we help a country address a gap in international protection? Because that's something that that is lacking in our security system in the world. But what about what's happening today? We have a prolonged drought. My children have gone through drinking salty water. We we are unable to grow food because already our land is very uh, unique. Our geography is unique. And um, for those people who are not aware of Kiribati, it's very small in, in, in that. And their agriculture is also very poor. The, the land is not very fertile. Any marginal increase in sea level will, will impact our livelihood. So, look, I think the, the, the document is vital in highlighting that this is something that needs to be addressed. But one thing that I scanned through the document and could not find, and I know this is a work in progress, um, is how does it connect to finding options, finding solutions? It just so if something happens it, tomorrow, there's no options on how we can deal with it. I mean, yeah. we would want to be informed, right? Yes. We just spoke about communicating the document, but living in Kiribati and having to have listened to announcement on the radio that says, you know, communities of um, location A, B, and C prepared, there's a, there's a spring tide coming. But what do you do for a country where there is no higher ground? You can't just give an announcement that tells them that there's a sea level rise event that's happening this afternoon because there is no alternative for us. What do we do? Where do we go? And so this morning when I listened to Minister Conroy um, announce the Pacific Engagement Visa again, I was thinking, hmm, how does this provide a pathway for people from Kiribati and other Pacific Islands who would want to inform their futures and not live with the impacts that they are living through now? Right, so let's go to the last question. The report highlights the necessity to create an enabling environment 
to facilitate open dialogue and strengthened information sharing. What are the challenges and opportunities in creating this environment to respond as a unified region to the threats identified in the report? Very quickly, we don't have much time anymore. So one minute question answers. Well, Henry, as we touched on earlier, I think the college is a servant of the region. We are here to uh, facilitate uh, learning, policy engagement, and regional collaboration. And I think those are some of the things that will be uh, very helpful to the region. Uh, we're here. Uh, feel free to contact any of us on this panel, including Henry. Mm -hmm. But uh, we're here as a servant of the region. I think that learning, policy engagement, and regional collaboration will be terrifically important. Okay. Um, Henry, I'm sorry, but I want to ask that we look beyond enabling the environment because for me, enabling the environment has really been about increasing awareness and information sharing, but how do we translate that to empowering people to actually be informed to do something about their futures? I think that's the gap for me that I'm not, you know, I want to address. It's something that APSC would want research its body of researchers to be involved in? How do we align to what the forum and the rest of the Pacific is doing? How do we complement those efforts? I think it would be a, a, a potential area for us to be involved. We need to go more than beyond just enabling environment. We need to empower people to act, people to take action. Yeah, so, I'd, I'd agree, Henry, in terms of empowering, and I think that's particularly key at the national level. When we're dealing with these kind of complex risks, it actually requires an interdependence of working together, and that actually takes a lot of energy. Um, so I guess one thing that I'm a little concerned about is the potential for people at a national level to be able to work outside of their silos, share information outside of their silos that will actually help in the management of that. And we're going to have to get creative for ways to do it. We, we were lucky enough to work with the forum around the Pacific Regional Law Enforcement Conference last year, but I think it's going to take innovation in terms of both creating forums at a national and a regional level that actually support people to be able to share under all the demands that they're carrying, like Dave was talking about before. Like it's a bit overwhelming for security leaders, particularly at a national level. So how do we actually support and support them to be able to do that cross-sharing and working together to, for the management of complex issues? Lady and gentlemen, <laughs> thank you very much for a very fascinating insight from uh, yourselves uh, on this uh, uh, episode on the Pacific Wayfinder. Malo, thank you, Thomas. Come uh, <laughs> That's it from me. Thank you, Henry. H Henry, that was magnificent. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, yeah.